Hello and welcome to Can I Kick It? My name is Emilio Diaz. Yep, it's me, Emilio, here this week. You know, I have not been able to be on the podcast as frequently due to my job and due to the hurricane situation in Puerto Rico. So I've decided to this that this week is just be a solo Emilio episode. And I'm just going to go and run through everything that's been happening, everything that I watched at TIFF and everything that... I thought about them. I just have not been able to give my thoughts on it. I have not been able to be on the episodes which required talking about these movies. I obviously enjoyed the commentary of my co-hosts, Jesse uh, and Ian Cullen. I enjoyed the commentary of our uh, guests, CJ, Anna, Meg, uh, Jackson, obviously, though I was on that episode. But I figured, you know... Some people like this. Some people like to hear my voice and my thoughts on these movies. And I went a little short on them on Letterbox, and I only talked about a couple of them on that Jackson episode. But frankly, I can't even remember which. So I'm just basically going to go down everything I watched at TIFF. There are some short films I watched at TIFF. I will not talk about all of those because, to be honest, I don't really have like very concrete thoughts on both of them. Uh, and. Th- I find shorts difficult to talk about just generally apart from Wavelengths 2 shorts program was good. If you want to watch any of those movies by any of those directors, they're pretty good and interesting to watch. Uh, Bigger on the Inside, I think, was my favorite one of those. And I, it's just like a very cool, fun thing to check out. So uh, apart from that, let's start. I guess I don't know in what order to go because I have this letterbox list up of everything I watched at TIFF except that it's ordered from favorite to least favorite and I don't think that that is would be very compelling to (laughs) talk about these movies so instead let's just try and go from I guess like the order I watched them at the festival probably makes the most sense so the first thing I saw the festival was all the beauty in the budget the Laura Poitras documentary uh, about Nan Golden her struggles uh, and like success as an artist Uh, She is a famous photographer. She has a lot of these very interesting portraits plus candid photography of these of people. Uh, Her work is often political. She did a lot of work around the AIDS crisis, uh, you know, tackling subjects such as homosexuality and things under the government. And then later in her life, she became known for fighting against the struggle of the opi- the opioid crisis uh, against Purdue Pharmaceutical and specifically to get the Purdue names and the and the Sa- the Sackler names or the people who run Purdue Pharmaceuticals names outside of these famous art galleries and art institutes in the world in which she you know will sometimes host her art in because she thinks it's uh bad that these people get to like wash their name with the sort of art that they're, the, 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 these donations and having their names on these pieces of art it, while causing pain and millions to, pains, uh, pain and death to millions. So, what did I think of it? I think it's like, 
the stuff about her work is incredibly compelling because the work is compelling. She's a great photographer. Her relating, like, the sort of bluntness of her work and the bluntness of her personality and, like, how that those things sort of mesh together but it can also create something very beautiful is very compelling now for the other half of the movie which is more about her struggle with Purdue Pharmaceuticals there I feel it's like occasionally compelling I think she's a compelling figure to talk about she's certainly very animated and uh passionate about the subject but it I don't know it like whenever you get into like political action through the lens of one pe- person I think you can end up like accidentally erasing a lot of the movement and I think like a lot of those things should be collective movements and I think the way that the movie chooses to portray that stuff can sometimes be a little hero worshipy in a way that I don't think even she would necessarily appreciate but I think it's worth watching it's like gorgeous to look at there's a lot of like very tough documentary work being done of just like embedding cameras and going to places and going to protests and capturing her work as a as more of a political piece than an artist like in a compelling and like very interesting package and I think Nan Golden is an excellent subject for a documentary uh it won the Golden Lion certainly an interesting winner I I would doubt that it would be my favorite movie that played Venice but I don't think I've well, I, I, there is another movie that played Venice that I like more than it, which I will talk about soon. What movie should I move on to next? You know what? Let's move on to Glass Onion. So it's the Knives Out sequel. Knives Out is a movie that I sort of really enjoyed when I saw it at TIFF 2018. And then when I rewatched it a couple of times around, I had a pretty good time with it. But it has sort of diminished a little on my memory. And I think Glass Onion, I had sort of a similar arc, but like very accelerated where when I watched it in the theater, I think I had a decent time. I think I found it mildly funny and the mystery interesting and how it's put together. I sort of appreciate uh, what Craig's doing and I'm glad that he gets to have fun. It's always nice to have see a person have fun on screen, but I think it's maybe a little too online for its own good, which is weird because I certainly have personally have like a weird relationship to online things being referenced in movies and that I'm like I like half of me find it very annoying and the other half of me is sort of like well this sort of stuff has to exist in movies like this is this is just like if we just ignore the internet in movies it's going to be a very like unrealistic thing to how we portray movies that are set in like in real time in in IRL in real life so I do think like some of that is appropriate, but it's like every character in Glass Onion can feel a little bit of like a Twitter mouthpiece or just like a type of person you see online. A lot of things like seems to be driven by like early pandemic era, early to mid pandemic era, online discourse. Uh, I guess I don't know if I should talk about what the mystery is at all because it's like so wrapped up in mystery that I know that some people will be spoiler phobic about it. But just to like very basically set it up, it's like uh, Benoit Blanc finds himself invited with all of these like titans of their industry to the Glass Onion, which exists on this private island owned by Edward Norton, who's like this big tech billionaire who 
is the person who you find out is, is like friends with all these people, all these luminaries that got invited to the island, such as like Dave Batista as like an alt-right YouTuber, uh, Catherine Hahn as a like Democratic senator, Leslie Odom Jr. as this like science genius. And so on and so forth with the other characters. Kate Hudson is like this like fashion enterprise air like leader and so on and so forth. And Benoit Block basically has to solve the mystery of why him and uh Janelle Monet's character who is like another member who used to be part of their friend group who then had sort of a falling out and is but for some reason decided to show up to the party all anyway. And uh, all of these mysteries that sort of devolve from that into the point where it becomes like twist upon twist upon twist upon twist that completely recontextualize what you've seen in the movie, which I did find fun, but it's also the sort of thing where until you sort of get to what the mystery is, the movie does sort of feel like, you so you do are sort of like on the edge of your seat, not in a good way, but you're just sort of like the restless to figure out what the hell the movie is about because it seems to be not very open about it at first. So that's I guess that's my take on Glass Onion. It's just like sort of stuck in the middle. I I think it's like if you like if you like Knives Out, you probably like it. It's sort of in the same vein, but like more. But I'm not sure if the more that it decided the direction of more that it decided to go for is really functional anyway moving on what should i move on to el agua el agua is a spanish movie that was directed by let me see if i can pull this director's name elena lopez riera and it's this sort of movie about a girl in this sm- in this small village in like southeastern Spain, and this town basically has a huge river, which is like sort of myth mythically, but also sort of like in like real history gets like flooded often, and there is- there's a sort of mythology in this town about how like women get like swept up in the floods and like. And like sort of, it's like it's like a weird metaphor about how like the water in this town swallows you up and like doesn't allow you to go free, but how it specifically affects women. And it, I think pe- the it's the them being like you have water inside you in the movie sort of applies to like women who are seen as like difficult or challenging or like they're gonna be trouble. And this is a criticism that is often or I guess like an insult that is often la- labeled to our first character to our main character Isabella who falls in love with this like new kid in town who is and basically they have this sort of a fairly straightforward like teen love story like they're very smitten with each other they really ha- have this like profound connection but at the same time the parents both of their parents are sort of like well not like her mother is like sort of supportive of it it, but she is aware that 
the kid the guy's father is she's had some sort of weird relationship with him in the past and he knows that that guy is basically sort of a stuck up like rich landowner and is not doesn't want their relationship to continue because he thinks that his kid basically should have higher ambitions in life and try harder and this girl like because she's full of water or whatever she's gonna like drag him down to the to his level it's an interesting movie i enjoyed it by the end i think it does a nice job of capturing this like sort of spanish-speaking latin teen vibe of just like fucking around on the edges of town just like hanging out in like like smoky swamps and like concrete barriers by the edge of rivers and just like it has a good eye for like where teens like to hang out and do random stuff and how they behave in sort of relationships and about like how like casual people try to play things but also will also be extremely swept up in it and just like these relationships between single mothers and the kids and the te- and their daughters and like just how stuck you can feel in a small town and just and everybody's relationship to how much they want to leave it versus how much they're just floating a by in the town versus how much they love it and just like everyone's relationship to the way things work within their geographic location and I guess like having suffered through I'm not gonna say suffered through having lived through Maria and now Fiona Puerto Rico it does capture a nice feeling just like environmental catastrophe is just like this ever recurring part of life that makes you both mad about where you live but also you know you're sort of a proud survivor just like you you know the path that has been chosen for you to a certain extent and i thought and i found it kind of beautiful it was it's a nice movie el agua the water up next what do i want to talk about Let's talk about De Humani Corporis Fabrico, which is a documentary about the human body. I do believe I talked about this a little bit, so I won't go super long. It's directed by Lucien Cassian Taylor and Verena Paravel. It's this documentary about sitting in a French hospital about which it's just like a lot of uh, footage of just very intense surgery footage, like very verite, just like putting the camera there. You watch what happens. Like, no filtered, nobody is, uh, no desire to protect you from the ugliness and the fragility of the human body. Uh, that's sort of what I thought about most of just, like, if the movie has any, like, outward thesis, which I don't think it does, but it is sort of a movie about just, like, how fragile we all are and just, like, how easy it is to just, like, bust somebody's spine to just, like, to put screws in it and how easy it is to just like like basically break apart somebody's penis to come to do surgery on it but also just like how old people are treated and how sort of like dementia patients are treated and how just like easy it is for doctors to lose their mind and just like just how mutable the human body is and how we can just just like be torn apart in a, for a second and 
it's kind of up to us to put ourselves back together and it's sort of weird to think of us having any sort of defined shape uh there is a very gnarly c-section section of the movie that was the it was like a lot of it i kind of was like very i was like struggling to open my eyes for it, somebody who struggles with blood but the c-section part is, is particularly one of those things where you just look at it and you're just like jesus christ we can just like rip a person open and just like put them back together and everyone's fine that's just like a crazy thing to think about how we're like built and put together as human beings and i think that's very compelling for that reason i think people should watch it it's a great movie um next up let's go to something i didn't like let's say let's go to women talking which is maybe the one thing i didn't like that is maybe a little controversial because it received a lot of positive notices I think it's a very just, I don't want to say misguided. It's not misguided. It's probably actually properly guided. It is this movie about these group of women who have been sexually assaulted and physically violated in this small, like, Mennonite community. And they basically have to make a decision about whether they will leave their colony, stay in their colony, like under complete under just like complete like as if nothing ever happened or whether they will stay in their community and fight and basically the entire movie is just like this argument in the barn between all of these different women about what they should do and the struggle is that as much tension as you can mine from these sort of premises, you think about like whatever, like a 12 angry men are just like locked in a room. We're going to argue this out. The movie, I don't think ever finds any real tension. Like you sort of get what they're going to do from like the beginning. And uh, which is like not sort, it's like not that much of a problem, except that because like you could still mine just like fertile emotional territory about these people just figuring out what they're going to do and why they disagree with it and what's going to happen, even if you know the action they're ultimately going to take. But none of the characters just feel completely there enough for you to really feel like these people are people and like to for you to have that much of a connection to them to sort of, carry your way through the movie like uh claire foy is in it as sort of one of the more defiant members of the crew then you have rooney mara as she's like basically the lead of the movie a lot of the movie story revolves around her and because she is among the main characters among the least decided about what she wants to do and you have jesse buckley and she's sort of defiant in her she's sort of like quietly the the actual most defiant because she is the person who is most on the side of like no status quo change which is like really what are we gonna do here like we're gonna all, all just gonna go and live without men like don't be ridiculous and i think of the famous actors in the movie giving sort of like central performances she's the best but that's not really saying much because i think foy is pretty nothing she 
if is the one that feels the least the least like a person because she she's just like this ball of fury which can be compelling except that this movie starts at the point at which they are all arguing so you never get any sense of any of them beyond just like they are points that each of them are making they're just like a series of consequences and a series of just like positions that are battling it out with each other like you get no sense of what these people are as people which i think like almost accidentally does a like it's like accidentally unfair to all these characters because it just makes them all into people who have suffered what they have suffered instead of just like real lives who have been affected by an occasion there there every one of them is just like a, it just turns them all into like different perspectives of being assaulted and i think it's just unfair to those characters and it's unfair to creating like very compelling material for a movie and i've said this in different places but it's like what i enjoy about take this waltz from sarah polly sarah polly director woman talking i guess i should have said that what i like about take this waltz from sarah polly is that it takes a very normal story we talked about it a couple of weeks ago just like this woman like sort of being bored with her life and being not feeling compelled and finding this like very bright spot in her life and deciding to chase it to the but it's like obviously it's like adultery and cheating so there are some more there's like some moral quandaries there but it's like a moral quandary that has been done in movies and television a bunch of just like should i leave my spouse for the person who makes me more excited like but the but take this waltz finds a way to make ground all these characters and make them feel like real people enough to where you are genuinely compelled about the series of decisions these people have to take and it depicts those decisions as like genuinely difficult not any not without like an immediate answer whether it goes right or wrong not not they won't be like necessarily condemned but they won't be necessarily accepted it's just like real life where you just have to make a decision and you and the consequences of it are just like the rest of your life and how you have to live and how you feel about that and the way it depicts those decisions and those consequences are very grounded and compelling and interesting and it's really i made me love that movie which is sad to say that like women talking just feels like the absolute opposite it's taking like this very novel and compelling debate and instead reducing it to just like the most basic obvious talking points about it to the point where when the women at the end make their decision that you know in theory should be like something very brave and something very uncertain something that's like very compelling Instead, you're just like, this is kind of what I thought would always happen. And the, the, and I kind of can't really picture how it's going to go for any of these people beyond just like what happens in the movie. Because I have no sense of what these people are and what, what they could do. It's just like, I'm all, I guess I, I'm like often anti movies having like coda to see, codas to see how they, how people are after like the ending of the main part of the movie but this is one where i could have used like how are all these people like who are they what did what do they do once they are out of 
their situation because if not then the only thing I have to associate these people with is their situation which is like unfair it's unfair to any survivor any victim to like only be able to think of them as a person who has suffered this thing but that's like sort of what the movie leaves you with but anyway that's what I thought of women talking let's move on to something I liked a lot let's go to Banshees of Inisherin Benchies of Inisherin is the new Martin McDonough movie. It's about Colin Farrell plays this guy in this Irish, tiny Irish town on this island who has a pretty simple life, seems like a pretty dim bulb. And his simple life is just he goes down to the pub. He takes, I mean, he takes care of his donkeys and then he goes down to the pub and he hangs out with his best friend played by Brendan Gleeson. So upon the opening of the movie, he goes down and does that and Brendan Gleeson informs him that he no longer wants to be friends with him. And from there on, the movie escalates to a series of uh, emotional and violent encounters, funny emotional and violent encounters between these people and the consequences therein of just like a rejection of friendship and, uh, and the decisions that people have to make as their lives go on and they want different things. And in Bruges is a movie that is highly acclaimed and I just kind of like, I I'm not the hugest in Bruges fan. Seven Psychopaths is weirdly the, the other McDonough movie before this one that I liked because I just thought it was ridiculous enough to be compelling. Three Billboards is very bad. And this movie is just great. It's like a movie that that I liked at the time and then just sat with me very well. It's like very funny but also surprisingly, like, very emotionally nuanced. Like, Brendan Gleeson's character is a thing where when I saw the trailer and I saw what the movie was, I was going to be like, oh, this is going to be just, like, an extremely ridiculous farce. But as soon as you see Brendan Gleeson's, like, performance and character in it, it sort of grounds the movie emotionally in a weird way to where everything just, like, hits different than you're expecting it to. Because... The reason that character basically gives basically as to why he doesn't want to be friends anymore is just like he's getting older in age. He wants to do something with his life beyond just like going getting drunk with his pal. He wants to leave a lasting legacy. So he decides to like try to write this this like musical piece that will stand the test of time like Mozart. Which again, like it's like sounds a little ridiculous, but once you see like that sort of earnestness with which he delivers it you sort of get it and you sort of get why this person would be so annoyed by somebody not leaving them alone and continuously bothering them and continuously wanting to be in their circle and their friend. And I don't know. He's just very great. And I find his performance, I think is like one of my favorites of the year because he takes this movie that could read very ridiculous and sort of brings it to a point where you're just like, I get all of these people are people despite the ridiculousness of their surroundings. They're, they're just like fully written and recognizable characters or like characters with recognizable traits to where it's like, yeah, I can sort of, I could sort of see myself in both of these characters. Like Colin Farrell, obviously getting a lot of the praise, great performance, very funny, very like, earnest very good at playing dumb very like great at getting 
his moments in, getting his shots in, despite his his like purported lack of intelligence, and just like you feel so bad for the guy, but you sort of end up feeling bad for both guys, which is just like the ultimate success of this movie, where it's just it crafts a situation in which everybody is a little bit of an asshole, is a little bit like just escalating and nobody wants to just sit down and have a proper dialogue about the way that things are going to work out among them. Uh, so yeah, man, she's of an Ishran. What else do we want to talk about? Pathofiction. Albert Sarah's pathofiction about this sort of island on the Pacific in which this guy, I forget the actor's name, I think I did briefly talk about this one also. This movie is sort of like among the foggiest in my mind because it's it's like a pretty foggy, vague movie generally. And also I watch it while pretty tired. Benoit Majamel, who is this French actor, plays De Roller, who is the sort of de facto leader of this Pacific island and owns this like nightclub and that is like staffed by its native like the island's native people but like functions to like serve a bunch of foreign people and including soldiers and legionaries and people like that who are and they're running a lot of like uh, nuclear experiments like near the island while he denied it to the people and he's trying to sort of keep the island together as it like slowly decays and rots as any sense of identity it has starts leaving the sort of social health of its populace starts to deteriorate its desirability as like an island landscape as like a like vacation island landscape starts to deteriorate and it's like incredibly incredibly compellingly made i think it's like gorgeous to look at it has these sort of hazy neon glows as its main accents, a lot of like, also a lot of like purple and orange skies. It's like a very interesting take on island and specifically Pacific Island. Cause it's, cause you obviously could, when you see European filmmakers or like American filmmakers make movies about like islands, you often see them focus on like the natural beauty of greenery and like the ocean blue or whatever. But I very much enjoy how Sarah decides to frame it instead of just like these hazy neon glows that almost makes it seem like you know old Times square like porn theatery just like is selling an island's selling an island's beauty to just like just like the lowest class and lowest respect just like selling of selling these people selling these people's bodies in a very interesting way. There's probably more to be written and think about that. But uh yeah, I liked it. I'm I it's truly like a movie I was very hazy on when I watched it. So I, I can't really say a lot beyond that. Let's move on to The Sun. The Sun. Bad movie. Uh it's just not very good. It's weird. Like, 
a lot of people have called it like overwrought and overacted and overwritten and all this stuff. And it's like, I don't disagree, but I do think like there is maybe an, a compelling nugget of an idea, or at least I like, I would not have dismissed it out of hand. Just like seeing like how treacly the sort of subject matter can get It's sort of about this father struggling to deal with his depressive son and I don't know. It's a movie where I try to give it the benefit of the doubt at every single turn where it's like, you know what? This is maybe a little like big, but you know, it's a lot of people dealing with very big emotions. It's maybe written a little weird, but I'm willing to excuse a little bit of weird dialogue on it here and there. But it's just like at every turn in which you start finding something compelling, like Yakman's performance or the decent scene with Anthony Hopkins, there's like, I think a couple of interesting camera things being done it's just like it, it's just like burdened by just fundamentally bad bones where it's just like does the titular son is played horribly just like one of the worst performances i've seen this year just like the kid playing the son just absolutely does not have any handle on what to play there which i think is i think a lot of it is also far it's like fault of the script I don't think Florian Zeller, who is like adapting his own play here, he, I don't think he had a big. I don't think he had a great handle on the like direct subject matter of the movie. Like, I don't think he has a great handling on what like depression looks like with teenagers, or like how they discuss that thing, or how they go about feeling those things. And it's just very. He just, but but I also think that just like, I think you can take like ridiculous, unrealistic portrayals of mental illness, and I think there is there can be good actors who have interesting ways of playing that sort of stuff, and I think the 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 kid is just like lost it. See, he just does not have it within him to make it interesting, which like sort of brings everybody around them down because he's so much the center of the movie, just like what it's doing plot and emotions wise because it's like Hugh Jackman is the lead but a lot of the scenes are like either talking about the kid on terms you like don't really understand because the kid seems like so disconnected from real human behavior that whenever it becomes like he becomes a problem for Hugh Jackman alone you're just like I don't really get or care and when they have scenes together he like brings Hugh Jackman performance down because Jackman all of a sudden like feels like he doesn't have a person to talk to or like a character it also just feels really empty in a weird way i guess it's like probably was made during covid and there are some of those restrictions but it also just feels like it just like makes the movie feel very weird it's just like it's just not there it's just like it, it, a classic movie that could have used more cooking could have like used another actor could have used another path of the screenplay but it, it just seemed like it was greenlit too quick maybe but it's just like not good hope i hope to be a dissenting opinion on that but it, it no i am just with most people on that it just doesn't have it uh next up causeway uh this is the night lila nugabara film we have talked about this po- on this podcast for three years it used to be called red white and water it's about jennifer lawrence playing just like a uh, soldier who suffered, who was like the survivor of an explosion back in Afghanistan, I think, is where she was deployed. 
which has both caused her a little bit of PTSD, but also seems to have physically affected her mind in a way that she is still recovering from. And she has to go back home to New Orleans to just recover and work things out. But she really wants to go back. So while she's stuck, she just decides to get a job cleaning pools and she meets Brian Tyree Henry, who is the uh is the owner of a car of a car uh of a mechanic shop and uh, they just sort of strike up a friendship and they just go to different pools and have conversations for a long time. That's what's sort of nice about the movie. It it's like very plot light in a way that's sort of refreshing. It's just sort of these two people figuring each other out, getting what they need from each other. Because Brian Tyree Henry's character was also the sufferer of her, the sufferer of an accident which has left them uh with a a, pros- a prosthetic. And I can I struggle with it a little bit cuz I'm like is it a little too slight? Like, shouldn't I be getting like some form of catharsis from it? But and but also half of me is like, maybe it's nice that it doesn't have that sort that much of a catharsis. The movie sort of ends on this point where you're just like, well, I guess this person started to try. This person got what they needed to started to start fixing themselves and to start like getting their life on track to the way, which seems the most healthy for her. And. I don't know. Sometimes that's enough. I think it's good. I've I've, I've saw some people describe it as Sundancey. I think it is Sundancey, but I think like, I think you can get away with like that that sort of like light Sundancey. We're gonna figure each other out and like two people desperate to get to know each other sort of thing. If the two performances are good and Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry are very good, a similar movie to that, I guess, but in a very different way, is like Queens of the Qing Dynasty. Directed by Ashley McKenzie. This was a wavelength movie. It's a sort of it's a Canadian movie. It's about this uh this uh neurodivergent teen who has also been through a lot in her life, in their life, who spends most of the movie in this hospital under the care of different doctors until they're given this sort of companion who is a person who is like an architecture student who is now who is volunteering no they're not an architect they're just some form of student and they're volunteering at this hospital for some form of college credit and they sort of strike up a friendship as they both see themselves these at these people who are like sort of on the outside of society and have a sort of a different way to look at things than most people around them, but can sort of be comfortable in that with each other. And I think they're very, they're two very compelling performances. The actors are Sarah Walker and Zijing Sheng. They're just very good. They're, they're very fun and funny to see each other. You sort of get their chemistry. Uh, there, they can make you cry occasionally. It it's just like it's a movie that is very interested in just like how compelling these people's lives can be, and just like these people who sort of exist at the margins of the society, and how 
they sort of have to find their own community of weirdos because a lot of people struggle to really figure them out and deal with them even though they're trying to even though they're really trying to and making an honest like kind effort to and it's it's sort of the same thing with causeway where it's like i find basically every moment of the movie compelling but i do sort of struggle to think about whether it like builds up to anything or adds up to anything that i'm like that i can like feel or say or like sum up concretely it's just when you're watching it you don't want to you're very fascinated by everybody involved and you want to keep watching it which is one of the higher compliments I, I i can pay to the movie yet i feel fine myself wanting more from it i don't know what it is but i do think it is compelling and i do think it's worth watching uh sarah walker's performance specifically is very very good and i think they are a big talent i think there is it is also like their debuts as actors i think ashley mckenzie mentioned pulling them from relative obscurity so what do i have left i only have a couple of things left uh empire of light weird thing i saw at the festival just a stunningly boring movie uh just kind of has nothing going on between the ears it's trying to be this sort of love letter to cinema and what sort of what people sort of find in these empty screening rooms with gigantic screens and like this theater on the on England is like the sort of setting for it but just kind of just sort of lacks any interesting motor to it I don't think it has a handle on any of its characters uh Olivia Coleman plays the lead and this she plays this lady who sort of she works at the theater is sort of having an affair with the theater's owner played by Colin Firth like Colin Firth had the wife she is single but and then but it's just like I never know you never get to know who this person is until by the end they just start kind of like portraying her struggles with her current situation and happiness in life with just like her being like I'm a crazy person I can do crazy things and go crazy and it's and it's just a movie that has nothing going on and then when it decides to have something going on it just pushes a random lever of things to be about whether it's about the treatment of women or the like class relations at this time in like Thatcher era England and it but it just has nothing interesting to say about it so it just feels like almost offensive just how much it's like willing to hit those like talking points as a as a like engine for the movie's runtime and I just did not like it at all uh, I also kind of did not like this movie called Domingo and the Mist, which is unfortunate because it's directed by this director Aurelio Escalante Mesa. It is Costa Rican. It's sort of about this guy Domingo whose street is being gentrified and whose like community is being not gentrified, but they the Costa Rican government seems to want, want to build a highway to or in the country, and they seem to want to 
displace all of the people who live in this community in order to build this highway. And they seem to be making cash offers for all of these places. But once the cash offers start getting rejected, they sort of result to more violent means to get these people out of their houses. And Domingo decides that he's like fed up with that and he's going to take his... He's going to take his stand and he's going to take these people on. The movie looks nice. I sort of enjoy the story it's trying to tell, but... I don't it, it It sort of always struggled to feel compelling or interesting to me. I don't think it has... It had that much to say beyond just like the way these people are getting pushed out is bad. It like it, it. I don't think it had any twists and turns or just like, in compelling intellectual or ideological ideas f- with how this being displaced. And I don't think it's like not really an action movie. I didn't really find that thrilling. And I didn't really think it find it that interesting to talk about. So despite it being a nice looking movie about like a topic I agree with, I just did not really like it that much. Anyway, I think we have two full movies left. Let me see. Yes, we have The Eternal Daughter, which is Joanna Hogg's new movie, her sort of follow up to the souvenirs part one and two it's kind of set in the same universe in an interesting way it's Tilda Swinton plays dual roles as this filmmaker who stays at this hotel with her mother for her mother's birthday and she is trying to sort of mind this haunted seeming hotel for compelling ideas for her next movie. She's like really trying to figure out what her next movie is. And it nice it has nice spooky vibes. I enjoyed the look and the fog of it. Tilda Swinton is like excellent in it, especially as a mother, I think, cuz it's like, like that's like a character which she can play in like a Wes Anderson movie and make very big and like funny and just like a, a very like, "Oh, what's happening here?" type performance but she manages to make it very like grounded and scared about her age but also like funny and an interesting and compelling person and it's weird because it's I think as often happens with her movies it's a movie that I'm watching like for like 90% of the runtime and I'm being like do I like this is this good is this compelling I'm like this is like a little bit compelling but I don't know if I fully am engaged with the ideas and its material and then the ending is like brilliant and I'm like huh I kind of wish I knew the whole thing before I went going in because I I think I rather I would have rather just like liked the movie like known that I liked the movie and what it was doing beforehand rather than have found that at the end but it does make for a movie that has stuck with me very nicely. It has sort of, it sort of has the exploration of this of this mother daughter relationship and like what they are going through in this incredibly like personal and specific way that I feel very attached to. In a way that sort of reminded me of my relationship with my father and just like your relationship 
to people who you remember and how your brain decides to sort of take over and rewrite your current life in ways that you did not expect it's uh it's good it's great it might be the movie of the year if i rewatched it but i just i just cannot get all of it when i watched it and the last movie i saw is the fablemans which i do believe i've talked about but uh the fablemans is great steven spielberg did it he's uh one of the best directors of all time it has a very it's very compelling i know the trailer came out and a lot of people think it looks maudlin but i think that stuff is like the first 10 minutes of the movie and then it just becomes an incredibly normal compelling tale about this guy's this guy's relationship to movies and his family and his life and how you sort of inadvertently start making art to fill gaps in your real life and the beauty and the danger within that like it almost has this very compelling take on masculinity and how the like um, you could argue that like western masculinity has been rewritten in because of Steven Spielberg's daddy issues and just his desire to be a like a big strong lad because that's what was lacking in his real life and I don't know it it's just like gorgeous to look at it's very funny it's very compelling Judd Hirsch gives this great performance great like two scene performance Gabrielle LaBelle the lead who plays young Spielberg is like a very fun young like I guess teen to 20-something actor. I have no actual idea how old he is, but he's very good in it, and he should get notices for it. Dano's good. Rogan's good. Michelle Williams is interesting, but also, I think, good. It's just, like, hard to not like Steven Spielberg, maybe the best person at making movies. I don't think he's made the best movies, but I don't. It's, it's, you'd struggle to think of somebody who's better at making them than him. And uh, that's kind of all. That's everything I saw. I figured I'd get out before an hour here. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at I'm Laugh Alone. You can follow me on Letterboxd at I Laugh Alone. If you want to support the podcast, go to co-fi.com slash can I. Follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Letterboxd, at any like sort of... Uh, any, I'm sure the links will be in the description of this episode, including the lovely ads of all my co-hosts. And with that, I think we can release our audience. Bye bye.